to stop saying it's my new favorite thing because i've been doing it for a while now i just hit record welcome to the protector season four episode 300 plus with kr paul what's going on hey i really like this new mic you know kr went out and got a new mic she's she's ready for podcasting and D and everything else yeah so let's gotta, talk have about the, uh, gotta have the full setup to get the the full nerdery effect uh, you know what though i think as an author especially like one that you know you actually have to sell these books you actually really need to think about like this virtual world with mics and everything like that you sure do and you've got things like uh twitter spaces then you've got the facebook you know live events that you can do um and then i'll occasionally try to do you know like zoom meetings and, and kind of like a, a meet the author kind of deal um and so being able to up my mic quality sounded like that would be a good investment yeah, I could guarantee you, you're going to be doing like these interviews on top of interviews on top of interviews because you have a really neat concept. I like it. I haven't read your books yet. I need to read your books because I just read the um, the background of like fantasy with military thriller type thrown in there. That's kind of an interesting topic. And I guess a lot of it has to do with your background in the military and your background, as you say, like a D&D geeky type person, which I don't think it's a geek anymore. <laughs> nope. I think uh, at this point in time, nerd is mainstream. Um, you know, we're not the we're not the dweebs hanging out on the edges of the uh, the playground anymore. You know, with our magic cards, uh, which oh that was that was me in middle school. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun blend. I, I, you know, you write what you know, right? Um, I got in there and I, um, you know, started having the story concept and. Uh, I remember talking with my editor and it was really interesting because it's, it's very military thriller and, you know, we're getting in there and there's the guns and the ammo and the shoot em up and, and all of that. Um, but at the heart of it, you still kind of have that, that blend of the fantasy elements in there. I mean, it's pivotal to the story. It's what engages all of the, the characters and brings them together. Um, so it's not truly one or the other. It's really that cool blend of both, which now, when I play D&D, that's what I do as well. Well, let's let's hear about this protagonist. Who is your protagonist? All right. So my protagonist is Valerie Hall. She goes by Val. Um, and this is the one thing that I do warn people if they're going to read the book. Um, if you can make it through the first four pages, you'll make it through the rest of the series. Um, that first four pages is probably the most difficult to read um, because Val's story starts with she's being attacked and she is being attacked in what is possibly the worst way for any woman to ever be attacked, really any human being. I mean, it's it is the most degrading and horrible um, assault on dignity any human being could ever face. Um, and so I started from there. And as she's attacked like this, um, after, um, so she defeats her attacker, I mean, basically barehanded, she she almost beats him to death with a beer bottle. Um, and she, she's, she wants to be out of there so strongly that she teleports herself. Uh, and then from there, you know, I was like, man, this is a, this is an interesting concept, but what would happen to somebody who was really in the military? Um, would you try to hide it? Would you try to roll with it? Would you tell no one? Um, and sort of like you do your character alignments with D&D, I did the same thing. Well, she's the kind of person that would let her bosses know, hey. Now, did she know thing. she had these powers ahead of time? She did not. Uh, this was surprising and new. Um, 
it happened due to the trauma. The trauma is what what it unlocked this ability. And so um, she basically you know, confesses to her boss, hey, not only did this attack happen, and I want you to know because I intend to prosecute my attacker, but hey, this weird thing happened afterwards too. Um, I don't know what to do. And her boss kind of just goes, I've got some people for you to talk to. Uh, and, and next thing she knows, she's brought into this world. She's now part of this group. And it turns out there is um, what I think every logistician that ever hears this is like, yeah, because, uh, you know, your like six word version of this is logisticians are heroes because they suddenly realize that uh, wars are not won by tacticians, they're not won by intelligence. Um, especially today, looking at where the, the fight's about to kick off, geography is the thing that is against us the most. And if you can move your equipment into theater fastest, like instantaneously, um, you have the ability to possibly win a war like that. Uh, and so it all just kind of goes from there. Now, is this kind of like a quasi X-Men type group where like everybody has certain powers? Or are they kind of? Uh, no. So uh, the first book, really and, all, and truly, you only have the one one power. Um, there is another character, not necessarily in the group, sort of on the, the exterior of the group. Um, he has something else that he can do. Um, no spoilers there, but it's similar but different enough. Um, I think his description is, is I can do this in stereo or I can do this in mono, not stereo. Um, and then in the next book, you discover there might be something else. And as I'm now sitting here starting to write that third book, there might be something else. Um, so it certainly doesn't start off with every single person has a unique ability specific to that character. It is a group that generally speaking, you know, that shot grouping is all around one single ability. Now your background, like you, you know, you mentioned D and D, and we'll get into more of that a little later on. But anything about? Did you drop out? Yeah, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Hold on. Okay. Let me see. You know, I bet what it is. is I bet my kid just started <laughs> watching videos downstairs. Let's see if it comes back. Um, is it going to mess it up if I, uh, if no, I restart my browser? All. No, not cool. at all. <clears throat> there we go. And we're back. Hey, sorry about that. And we're back. Oh, no problem. I'll start that question again. And that's the thing is like, it's so easy to edit now. I'm not like back in the day, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Now I'm like, ah, I'll just cut it and do this. One, two, three, four, five. You know, with your background with D&D and, you know, into the fantasy world and stuff like that, did you ever read comics when you were a kid, too? Or was it just straight D&D stuff? Nope, I read comics, too. I wish uh, I wish I could easily tilt my camera, because if you were able to look off to my left, um, I have three shelves worth of comics that I've been collecting over the years. A lot of Wonder Woman, we've got Superman, the rest of the Justice League. Um, I've got... I've got some Calvin and Hobbes down there. In fact, I think we've got the entire bound hardcover. Um, the Dresden Files, which is based obviously on the Dresden Files uh, written series. Um, but yeah, three shelves worth of comic books over there. I am with you. I am with you. About three weeks ago, my son and I started going through all my comics. And they're all from like 1979 to 1991-ish. Mm -hmm. I have like, I don't know, I think 5,000. Oh and gosh. we're just like bins and bins. And now we're like, we're trying to sort them. And I'm like, I don't even know how to sort them now. I'm like, that put all the Avengers over there. Do I put alpha flight with X-Men? I'm like, <laughs> we're like, 
it's mostly mostly um what do you call it marvel but i do have a ton of dc like deathstroke and all sorts of these like other just bizarre series that just popped up back in the day and i love it i think anybody who really wants to go and get like a real history lesson on how everything came to be with the marvel universe and the dc universe and everything needs to kind of jump into the comics and now you could you know with an ipad you could read comics on your ipad and they're just as good yeah oh yeah you don't get the like you don't get the sound to it but you also don't get your fingers sticking to the pages i know i love a physical comic book though like as I'm looking through my collection, I look back and I just so many memories pop up. I'm sure the same thing happens with you. Now I you're, remember, I remember like some of those early X-Men, um, uh, especially the early nineties, like right in that era. Um, and man, they hit hard on social issues and they didn't pull those punches. Uh, man, I just, I love that. And I admired, I admired those writers and authors for really just, I mean, they leaned into it and they went hard and they didn't care. Like nothing like that. It was like, Nope, we're going after this issue. Let's go. Yeah. The coolest story I had when I was a kid is I grew up uh, probably about 45, 50 minutes from New York city. And one of the artists, a guy named Bob Sharon who colored for Marvel for years. And now he does like all sorts of really cool, like stained glass. But back then he was buying a house and my mom was a realtor and I was able to sit down with him. I think I was eight or nine years old and he was telling me all about the comics and all about everybody that worked there and just their different stories. And they really were like cutting edge back then, the 80s and like that 90s. It was like, boom, nothing is off the table. Nope. Let's talk about your antagonist. Who is Val going against? Uh, so in the first book, um, you know, you start off thinking that the antagonist through the story is her, her initial attacker. Um, and as you get, and you move through the various levels of this organization, um, there's a lot of questions leveled at her. Hey, where did you come from? You're late. Um, because as they find out this, this talent, this power manifests usually around a certain age and she's several years overdue where she should be there. Um, and fingers start getting pointed at her as well as one of the now retired members um, of this elite group that as they're called the Pantheon. Um, and there's a lot of, Hey, you know, where were you? Where have you been? Um, so for a while you think maybe it's her. And it turns out that this uh, retired member is, is actually off with the Russians. Um, now he's not with the oligarchy. He's not out there helping the elites. He's actually with sort of the counter elite group, if you will. So there's two, two organizations in Russia. Um, and it ended up, it's a little enemy of my enemy is my friend. So these are not good guys. These are not good people. Um, but they're, they're willing to go after the Russians and they're willing to attack the Russian oligarchy where they, where they live and play. Um, and you know, it just digs deeper and deeper until you realize that this guy is just completely off his rocker. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little flat. Like I go back and I look at it now a couple of years later and the way he comes off in the book, you're like, okay, he's just kind of your, your crazy guy. Um, but at the same time, I wrote his entire backstory before I started um, the rest of this. And I'm about to really start digging into it on the next book. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing people's reaction when they, they realize the depths and the magnitude. Um, and some of this was drawn on my own experience in the military. So I've worked 
the tactical level, I've worked at the operational level, and I've worked some at the strategic level. Um, and so getting in there and, and actually putting in the little bits of, hey, this is national level strategy. So if I have nine people that are the equivalent of a nuclear weapon, um, what can I do with them and what kind of risk am I willing to take? And what happens if one of them dies? Like, I mean, that's the equivalent of, of your broken arrow, your lost nuke. I've got an empty quiver. This guy's gone. Uh, what do I do? Um, so it was... It was a little bit fun for me to be able to put those little parts and pieces in every so and once in a while. Um, and hopefully my readers enjoy it. And it gives that level of authenticity that I think all authors are seeking. When did you first decide to like say, hey, you know what? I'm going to write a book because you've been writing nonfiction for a while, too. Um, I think I probably wanted to write my first book at about 14 or 15. Um, so pure nerd. Um, I started writing X-Files fan fiction and Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction as a high schooler. Um, so, and I love, I love fan fiction because it is purely for the love of writing. You love the show, you love the movie, you love the comic book, and you are writing because you love it. There is no money involved in this. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and sometime in about 2009, so I'd been into my my actual career for about five years at that point, um, I started writing my my first full-length novel, the first one that ever got finished. Um, and I'm looking at it now, and it's kind of garbage, uh, just from a technical standpoint. So the, the story itself, I still really like. Um, I really want to work with that story, but the technical aspect of it, not so good. Uh, so I think I finished that in about 09, 10 2010 maybe um sorry you can possibly hear the uh national anthem going off in the well, background this is awesome so this um, is you want to hit pause or keep going no we're gonna keep going this is the best thing ever <laughs> i feel i feel like i need to like you know stand up and find the flag somewhere not not inside today i so know i know I know. I, uh, I just i remember being on base and i remember the um so everybody out there if you heard it you know it goes off and you got to find the flag if you're outside and you got to go yeah. to attention. It's all, I, you know, I, that's some things I miss about the military. Yeah. It's, it's nice. And of course, you know, we see the kids and I'll see them, you know, they're running. I mean, like they're just charging along and then you'll hear it get started and they just all stop and they stand there just really politely, you know, hand and everything. So it's really, it's sweet to see. I like seeing it. It's um, great that you have an outside outlet too. When you were talking about writing, and having like space to get your mind, you know, situated too. Yeah. And it really is. Um, I used the first book, a little bit of therapy, you know, some of that, some of that comes out, um, especially when you're looking at the, the, the assault, um, there are elements of that, that I would almost say are pure fantasy because, um, she does get to see it go to trial quickly. Um, and without too many extra interrogations, she's not being re-traumatized by any of this. Her leadership is 100% supportive. Like that whole part, I wrote it from the perspective of this is what I wanted to see. This is how I wanted this to end. Um, and in the end, you know, that attacker, he is put away um, and there is no recourse for him. Like there are too many things stacked against him, too many witnesses that have also been harmed by this person. Um, and so aspects of that, you know, are pretty therapeutic. Um, and when I started writing the second book, um, so I finished writing the first one, hadn't published it, like nothing. I just went right into the second one because it was, you know, catharsis and I, I was enjoying it. Um, 
And then I had to take a, a pause to finish one of my master's degrees, got done, and I was deployed almost immediately. And during that deployment, I had something happen that was incredibly traumatic. Um, and I had to stop writing for a really long time. I think I took a pause of almost nine months, couldn't write at all, um, and came back to try to finish that second book. Um, and I, I mean, just so much of that came out. Um, writing that book was therapy for me for a lot of, a lot of the parts of it. Um, and there's even, there's one part that I go back and I read, um, and it's difficult for me to read, not because the scene is tough. I mean, the scene's relatively benign, but I can barely, you know, distinctly remember the feel like the grit of the sand under my feet, sitting at the table, trying to, you know, write that, uh, in my little room and, you know, like just that kind of desert sands underfoot and it's caught in the carpet and it all smells like that. And like, that just hits me really strongly reading that scene. Yeah. I can't imagine like getting a deployment and then having something happen and then trying to keep the same frame of thought. It must be very difficult. And how are you dealing now? Oh, uh, pretty well. Um, so I've, I've really become an advocate for, um, mental health and, and getting help. Um, I really am happy and excited to see that in the military, both on active duty reserve guard, and then, you know, veterans now, um, people are really getting on board with, Hey, mental health therapy is okay. There's no more stigma. Um, it's a very low stigma. You are better off going and getting that help than being that person that self-medicates with alcohol or drugs, getting that DUI, popping off to your sergeant. And now you got an LOR and you're facing non-judicial punishment because you've made bad choices when, Hey man, you, you could have gone to therapy early on. So, um, I definitely credit my therapy for helping me a lot. Yeah, and I always tell people like, listen, when I first started going to therapy, I, the first one or two, actually the first four people I went to see just didn't work out. Yeah. So wait, find someone that's actually going to work out for you. And I tell the story a million times, but the reason I stuck with the one uh, at the end was we started talking about zombies and just talking about different things that weren't so focused on pain and trauma. And it was nice. It was nice to go there and just get something out of it yeah. and not self-medicate. And not take on the world trying to focus a, your pain away. So absolutely. Yep. So let's talk about the books and your process. You know, how do you write? Do you like <laughs> map this thing out? Or, I mean, how do you do it? Um, so when I wrote the first one, um, and I don't recommend this technique. So I was working on my master's degree. I'm living far away from my family. It's about a seven and a half hour drive back home. And I'm going home every other weekend, 15 hours round trip in a car. Um, and I got bored. I got bored. I got this great imagination. So I just, I just ran with it. And I started building that whole plot in my head. Um, I sat down one morning in, I think it was March. And I mean, 15 hours. I just sat there for 15 hours on my rear end and I got, you know, like the first eight or nine chapters done, um, just sitting there. And the next day I did pretty much the same thing. I think I actually broke for lunch the second day. Um, but I mean, after seven months of building this in my head, I mean, I mm -hmm. had everything mapped out. I, I knew who these people were. Uh, I knew what their stories were. And so it was really easy to just sit down and do that. Um, for the second one, I didn't have that luxury. <laughs> I didn't have all that time. Um, so now what I do is I, kind of create a basic framework 
and know, I know who my good guy is. I know who my bad guy is. Um, and I will know some of your, your basic, like here are the things that should be impacting. Um, so I actually have a whiteboard set up next to me. Um, you know, what are my, my threads? What are my themes? Um, and then what are the points of tension? And so I have this whole laundry list of things and it helps me as I sit here writing, you know, I look over there, okay. Oh yeah. I need to write about this thing. Um, the other thing that I'll do is I use index cards. So every scene has its own little index card and it's, you know, who's involved in the scene. What's the goal of the scene? Not like what's happening, but what do I want my writer or my reader to get out of this? And I found when I, when I focused on what do I want my reader getting out of each scene, they became much more impactful. Um, and I write out all these cards. So I think I've got a little box full of index cards, right? There's like 37 of them for this book. So it'll be about 37 scenes, which usually translates into about a chapter. Um, and then I'll, you know, I'll just start writing and I'll pick a scene and it doesn't even have to be the first one. I just get going. Um, the luxury that this also affords me is when I don't sit down and just write through chronologically. Um, once I, I kind of thought through it a little bit more, I realized I had nine chapters at the beginning that were just like, mm, this is interesting, but nobody wants to read this. Like, um, I mean, my first book, like I drop you straight into the action. Same thing for the second book. I mean, like bombs are falling within two pages. Right. Um, and, and so I wanted the third book to follow that same pattern. It needed to be snappy. I needed people to get hooked right away. Um, so I, before I even wrote them, I cut nine cards out. So there's nine chapters basically taken out that hopefully my readers will appreciate later on. They're like, okay, well, Hemingway, right? Like you, you, you write your iceberg. And so that'll be the underside of the iceberg sitting there. Um, and, and it'll come out in the writing because I know that this happened. And so you get those little details later, but, um, I just love those scene cards. Yeah. We dropped the link below. If, and if you're listening, um, you just go to, we'll have links to your website and everything to pick up the books. You know, it's so good to support someone who has books on the market, who is putting their life into these pages. And I love it. And I love supporting authors. I mean, we got the protectors book club, protectors podcast, protectors, everything is because I love doing this. I love supporting authors. There is something I really want to know about. And I don't know much about it is D and D what's the deal. How do we get into D and D? Do I get, um, I'm damn near 50 years old. Do I jump into it? I mean, I got the geek yeah. thing going. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, if everybody saw my tattoos, they're not like all hardcore. A lot of them are just all geeky stuff like Batman, Deadpool, star Wars, yep. <laughs> Darth Vader, star Wars, samurai stuff, all sorts of crap. I do have some cool stuff, but what's up with D and D let's talk about um, it. Give me, give okay. me the, the 30,000 foot overview. Uh, so D and D, uh, if you have been in pop culture long enough to know what Lord of the Rings is, um, imagine you and three or four of your bestest buddies who also have great imaginations decide that you just want to role play some, some Lord of the Rings, high fantasy type stuff for a little bit. Um, and you, you reach deep inside yourself and you figure out, you know, what is my true calling? what have I always wanted to be in life? Uh, and so for myself, um, I am a barbarian, uh, who swings a sword and is just an absolute, uh, like female himbo. Like, I don't know what, I guess that's really like Barbie bimbo, but, but <laughs> blush. like we're talking, she's yoked. Um, and you know, I run around making stupid choices and swinging a sword or an ax and it's great. Um, I have a couple other friends that that play with us. Um, two of them live here locally. The other two are, are further out. So, you know, we're doing this all over video. But, um, you know, you build your character. 
Um, the best way I probably could describe it, it's uh, it's fantasy football for nerds. Like, you know what the stats are? You know, you get to pick your one little guy, yeah. you put him into the fight, and then they go out and fight the monster. And at the end of the day, you know, you don't go back to the tavern for an ale. Um, so rather than tailgating, I'm, I'm, you know, out there with my little bottle of LaCroix pretending like it's, a, you know, a, a flask of ale. I do have to give a big shout out to Chad Michael Collins. He's uh, he's Alex on the Call of Duty games, and he was always talking about D and D. And the more actors and stuff that I'm interviewing, and the more authors, there's so many people in that community. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you have a name for your character? Uh, yes. Uh, her name is Christina of Swole Lesbia. Uh, and she is a sword lesbian um so like i said you reach deep inside and you find what's true um i'm i'm actually a battle axe bisexual myself but you know awesome well i really appreciate you coming on everybody head over to kr's website let me pull that up again while we're at it it's authorkrpaul.com and you can buy the books there are they on amazon as well they are on Amazon, and then you can also find a couple of them out on Barnes & Noble as well. And I believe if we go to your website, we can get signed copies? You can. I am still offering That's what I'm copies. talking about. Yeah. i got to add you to the Protector's Bookshelf over here with the, the 50,000 authors. And KR, I really appreciate everything you've done for our country and, and serving our nation. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate you kind of giving me an overview of D&D. You know, I don't know why I've never asked this before. I used to play back in the day. There was like a Marvel type game where you could play. That was like, man, that was like 1980 something, maybe 90s. I don't even know. And I had it and I started playing it, but then I couldn't find anybody else. I was geeking out. So now I don't care. Listen, people, I read comic books. I watch comic movies. I do everything geeky. And I don't even think it's geeky anymore. I think it's cool, people. Come on. Now you're mainstream. <laughs> now you're mainstream. And now I am a host of the protectors podcast. So there we go. KR, thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me.